We're going to begin this morning with a, what has been described as one of the deepest theological hymns. Jesus loves me, this I know. It is indeed a great rejoicing song that Jesus loves us. But before we do that, just a couple of announcements uh, this morning. Uh, Zach is going to be uh, assisting this morning for the first time. He's getting ready for his uh, ordination, and uh, the session met with him last week and uh, to bring him under care, and he goes now before the presbytery uh, for that. Also, uh, we have tomorrow afternoon at 2, would like to meet with anyone who's interested in helping us uh, get a, uh, don't know what else to call it, but a, a senior ministry, we'll come up with a better name, uh, at 2 o'clock tomorrow, just brainstorming. And we'll meet in the office there if you have talk about that. And do notice all the uh, announcements that are printed there in the bulletin, the schedule for the week, and the things that are upcoming um, here at the church. And uh, I don't know if you saw in the news uh, Joel Belt. I don't know if many of you uh, particularly remember him. Uh, he was uh, one of the founders of World Magazine, World Journalism. Uh, he passed away last Sunday. And the service was held for him. He was also a moderator of the General Assembly in 2003. The Belts family uh, has been famous here, at least in the PCA. And uh, he passed away uh, yesterday, I believe, he, or last Sunday. And the service was yesterday. I believe he was 81. Uh, so we do want to remember the Bells uh, family uh, in prayer this morning as well. But let's take our hymn books and we'll stand and sing that marvelous hymn, Jesus Loves Me. This I know.
as many of you are singing that without even looking at your hymn books. We know that marvelous hymn. Here our call to worship this morning. Give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. Father, we do thank you for this hour to come and glorify and lift up your name. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior, who does love us, who laid down his life for us, for he cares for us. He calls us friends. And so, Father, together as we come this morning, we pray that you will bless all this hour, that Jesus Christ, our Savior, will be lifted up, glorified in all that we think and say and do, that we give him the glory and the honor and the praise. We worship you, the triune God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated and take your hymn books and turn to hymn 191. I am so glad that our Father in heaven, and let's stand as we sing 191. <laughs> Exercise this morning. And Zach's going to lead us in our confession of faith. So now we come to the part of the service where we confess our faith together. Today we're going to be going through the Westminster Larger Catechism, questions 176 and 177. These questions are pertaining particularly to the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So I'll read the question for us, and please join me in the bolded answer as well. So question 176, in what ways do the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper coincide? The sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper coincide in that God is the author of both and the spiritual part of both is Christ and his benefits. 
both are also seals of the same covenant, are ordinarily to be administered by ministers of the gospel and are to be, continue in Christ's church until the second coming. And 177. In what ways do the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper differ? The sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper differ in that baptism is administered just once with water as a sign and a seal of our rebirth and in grafting into Christ, even for infants. The Lord's Supper, on the other hand, is to be administered repeatedly with the elements of bread and wine to represent and display Christ as spiritual food for the soul and to confirm our continuing growth in him. And it is only for those who are old enough and capable of self-examination. So what it is, what a blessing it is that we can come together and confess our faith and talk about these key parts of our faith of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And what also a blessing it is to come together and pray and draw near to the throne of grace. So I'll lead us in prayer and then we'll end as we normally do with the Lord's Prayer, which is printed in the front of your red hymnal. So please join me in prayer. Father God, we recognize just how great you are, how transcendent you are, how far above us you are. Lord, you created everything. You sustain everything, but Lord, you're also imminent. You are near to those who call upon him. Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers, that you draw near when we call upon you. Lord, we also thank you that you're, we thank you for your son that made this possible by the shedding of his blood for our sins. Lord, we confess our sins to you, and we thank you for Christ's sacrifice for us. Lord, we also come to pray, bring supplication before you, as found in the bulletin, Lord. These different needs, these different hurts that folks are going through in, in our congregation, Lord, we draw near to you and we ask for these things. Lord, we pray for Zach, Rodney, and April Gott for healing, a clear diagnosis and a path forward after finding a brain tumor back in December, Lord. We pray for Roseanne Jones for an uncomplicated recovery from her knee procedure in January. We pray for Ken and Marilyn Deans for continued improvement and walking balance and strength. Lord, we also pray for Mitzi Wicker that God will continue to heal her from surgery and the recent effects of COVID. We pray for Nick and, or Dick and Nellie Jones for a good result from both of their testing. Lord, we pray for Autumn for complete healing and strength after this life-threatening delivery she, she had of, of her son back in, in December. Lord, we also pray for Joe Timms, uh, Ginger Schwastik's nephew, for healing, we also pray that, uh, as I understand, the insurance was unwilling to cover this procedure. So we pray that you work miraculously in, in this situation, Lord, that you would provide for this, this family. We pray that you would provide for Joe Timmons. Lord, just be with them through this, this difficult time. We also pray for Tom Alexander, pray for my dad, that you would encourage him, help him to accept and work towards his goals for rehabilitation. I pray that you would also be with us, that you would be with my family, with myself and my mom, my brother, as we go through this. And now, Lord, we come to you together and pray as your, you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Bible tells us on the first day of the week when God's people come together, they bring their tithes and offerings. So if the ushers will come forward and uh, get the baskets and we'll take the offering this morning. take your bulletin this morning and let us prepare our hearts for singing, for hearing the word as we confess uh, as a congregation our sin before the Lord. Let us pray together. Jesus, forgive my sins. Forgive the sins that I remember and the sins I have forgotten. Forgive my many failures in the face of temptation and those times when I've been stubborn in the face of correction. Forgive the times I've been proud of my own achievements and when I've failed to boast in your works. Forgive the harsh judgments I have made of others and the leniency I've shown myself. Forgive the lies I've told to others and the truths I have avoided. 
Forgive me the pain I've caused others and the indulgence I've shown myself. Jesus, have mercy on me and make me whole. Amen. The assurance of pardon is from Psalm 145 and verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. The stands we sing of his marvelous, magnificent love.
you'll take your Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 13, verse 35. John 13, verse 35. One of the things you learn in seminary, as well as being in the pastorate, uh, I was asked several times, are you going to pick up where Pastor Jerry left off in the Gospel of Mark? I said, no. <laughs> you pastors learn you do not do that. You go to another passage. So whenever a pastor would come and fill in for me when I was on vacation, I would tell him where I was and he would pick out his own passage. passage. So today we're going to do a topical sermon. The identity of the church and as you might have guessed already and if you know this famous verse you know the identity of the church it is love it is Christ's love for us and our love for one another let's stand for the reading of God's Word John 13 and verse 35 by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the Bible. We thank you for your holy word. And just as we sung in that hymn a moment ago, that song of the unity and the oneness, how great and wonderful it is as your people to dwell in that love, unity, peace and harmony with one another that does not come from us but comes from you the first fruit of the spirit is love so father may we be challenged this morning give us ears to hear and hearts to understand as we hear your word this morning the command of your to your church to love one another we pray this in jesus name amen you may be seated. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. You ever heard that song? You have. Written in 1970, back in the age of Aquarius. In the age of tie-dye t-shirts and harmony and peace, wasn't it? Or was it? You see, when we begin to try to conjure up on our own harmony, love, and peace, it fails. But when we know Christ, when we are born again by the Spirit of the Word and the Holy Spirit, and we know Christ as our Savior and Lord. We are given a new heart. It's not just a slogan or saying, but it is a changed heart. It is a new person who now occupies this body of flesh. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the living God. He has changed us. He has made us new. But there's a problem. And we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to look at three things. Number one, what has happened to the world and to the church and to Christians when we see so much disharmony, hatred in the world? 
What does the world need? Not what the Coca-Cola song says, but what the world needs is Christ. What the world needs is what you and I have to offer the world. The Lord Jesus, salvation through faith in him alone. What the world needs is the Lord Jesus Christ. What our neighbors and family members and dysfunctional families need is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is salvation through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ that this world needs. It's not the age of Aquarius, not the age of tie-dye shirts. It's the egos, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, the agape love that comes from Christ. It's a heart problem. These chapters in John 13 through 17 is Jesus's farewell. This chapter begins, you recall, with the disciples and Jesus there in the upper room, and he washes their feet. He washes their feet. Here the Lord of glory takes upon himself an apron and washes the dusty feet of his disciples. And out of that comes the mandate, the command. Somebody asked me the other day, what does it mean for Monday, Thursday? What does that word mean, Monday? It's the Latin phrase for command. It is a command of that night when the Lord washed his disciples' feet to love one another. Go and do likewise. Now, I didn't choose this topic because uh, we don't have love, and I don't see love in this congregation. I do, and when Jerry... Uh, told us about you, about Grace Church. He said, it's a loving congregation, and we have found that true and welcomed here. But you know, love is like humility. You can always use more. You can always use more. You can always be reminded of this command of our Lord to love one another, to love each other, as Christ loves us and loved the church. Now, the problem, as we mentioned, is our first point, that what the world needs is love, but it doesn't realize what the problem is. is that it is a heart problem. The modern thinking is, if only people were perfect and sinless, then we could all get along. If only they had a college degree and better parents, lived in a better neighborhood, whatever it is, we could all get along. Is it environment or is it nature that is our problem? If only people were more open and liberal-minded in their thinking and accepting of everyone, there would be love in the world. Well, that's the age of Aquarius. <laughs> How'd that work out? Not so good. Jesus smashed all of these theories. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was perfect. He never 
deliberately hated anyone. And yet, what did they do to him? They crucified him. They hated him. He was just his, he gave his life on the cross for us sinners. He was a sinless one, and yet the world hated him. Now, he tells us why in John chapter 3, right after that famous verse, John 3, 16, where it says, as you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But then you read down further, and what does he say? Men love the darkness rather than light. Problem is our heart. Problem is we need a heart surgery. We need to be changed. Jesus was sinless and yet drew enemies to him like moss to a light bulb. Why? Because the problem is the human heart. It is selfish and prideful. It is prone to narcissism. You know what that is. Self-love, the subservient to ourself only. It is self-love. But the righteousness of Jesus showed to all and to his enemies what real righteousness and holiness was. And it shone a light in their life, and they did not like that. I would imagine that it was uncomfortable to be around Jesus. And that's what they experienced, conviction of their sin. And if only they had seen what he was showing with that light of salvation and eternal life through him, had they only listened. Jesus' perfect humanity shone light on the imperfections of all those he met. And you know what? He told us the same thing. As they hated me, they will hate you. You know why? Because the Christian's behavior often convicts the sinner. Our behavior in following Christ often convicts others. And they're uncomfortable with that. So what do we do? We love them. To tell them the truth. To speak the truth with love about the Savior, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was not shy about confronting sin. They didn't hate him just because he spoke against sin. Love and truth are not mutually exclusive, which is what our world thinks. What did Jesus say? He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, he said. Turn from your sins, and you will find forgiveness and mercy and grace. The modern mind has been twisted to be uncomfortable with the truth about its shortcomings and sin. Really, it's the unregenerate mind, the mind that knows not Christ, that has not been renewed by the Spirit, 
It is in darkness and it avoids the light, as Jesus said in John 3. The problem of hatred and selfishness is that there is no earthly cure. It is the fallen human heart. It is original sin, narcissism, selfishness, wanting everything, the world revolve around me. And the thing is, we all do that, don't we? So often in a conversation, you know, we're listening to that person speak and we're waiting for them to finish so we can speak. We're not even listening. We're absorbed in ourselves. And the older I've gotten, the more mature I've gotten as a, as a Christian, the deeper I realize how great that is. That self-centeredness, how deep it is within us. But how we praise God for the sanctifying, cleansing, washing work of his Holy Spirit and word that cleanses us. Did you know the Bible is called uh, uh, the water and cleansing? If I so good to come on Sunday and, and hear not the opinions of the pastor, but to hear the word of God that cleanses us, convicts us, shows us the need of the Savior, the need of Christ. The problem is the human heart. The problem of hatred and selfishness is that there's no earthly human cure. And that's what the world doesn't like. We can solve this on our own. If only we throw enough money at it. If only we change the structures of society. If only we do this or do that. We can bring peace and harmony to the world. It hadn't worked out so far. Ever since the garden, since the first murder, there has been hatred. But God promised an answer. The person of Jesus Christ, and as we're learning uh, in our Sunday school class, in Genesis, it begins all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. There, there would come a man from the woman who would rise up and strike the evil. And now we know it's Jesus. God's plan for his people all along. We know the passage well in John chapter 3, in the first part of that chapter, in verses 4 and 8. Jesus answered him, that is to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. That message is offensive to modern sensibilities, to 21st century culture that wants to exalt and throne the individual and the self. Jesus says, you've got to be born again. What you are is not satisfactory. What you are is you must be changed from the inside out. We can legislate thousands of laws as we have done 
I forget, I read several years ago how large the federal registry is of laws. Thousands of pages. God did it in ten words. Ten words. You shall love me with all your heart and your neighbors yourself. This is a summary of the law. But it comes from Christ. If ever there is a convincing argument for the love of God for his people, it is you must be born again. That's the message of the church. Whether it's the 21st century or whether it's the 20th century or the 19th century or the 18th century, one of the preachers I learned a great deal about in seminary at Gordon Conwell was George Whitfield. Now, I love revivals and read of revivals. In fact, we drove all the way up to Newburyport, Massachusetts to see where George Whitfield was buried. He's buried under the pulpit in that Presbyterian church. You go downstairs and underneath. But he was the rock star of his day, and crowd, thousands of people would come to hear as George Whitfield preached the gospel, Benjamin Franklin among them, who come to hear about Jesus Christ, and the message is the same that America needs today. You must be born again. No matter how many edicts you have from the government, no matter how much you try to change, it is in Jesus Christ alone that unites humanity in one. Is that not what Paul said? We are one in Christ. It's just what we sang a moment ago, the unity and the oneness, the magnificent, marvelous love of God in Christ. That's our problem. And the answer is Jesus. It's supernatural because, you see, the world has another problem. We don't, they don't love their enemies. It's get even. It's retribution. The world admires. The meek and the mild are not the heroes. It's the ones who strike back, who retaliate. They're seen as the strong and the mighty. And Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. Amen. The meek shall inherit the earth. Not the mighty, not the powerful, not the good-looking, not the rich. It is the meek who will inherit the earth. Love of our enemies is how we conquer. Love, the love of Christ to the world. You know the stories in church history, how many have been conquered by the love of Christ. Simply preaching the gospel. Come to Christ. Come to the altar and there you find forgiveness of your sins. There you find someone who loves you unconditionally in Christ, in the Lord Jesus. But it is supernatural. You see, that's what the world misses. It is supernatural. We cannot... Do it on our own. We cannot love our enemies on our own. 
sometimes our enemies are in our own house. I counseled with a couple in Texas who were on the rocks, their marriage, she had committed adultery just weeks after they were married. And you talk about hatred for one another, husband and wife. Four years we went round and round and round trying to get her and him to see and understand the gospel. And it did not work. He would not forgive. She would not repent. And it ended in disaster. It is supernatural. The preacher can't change your heart. Only Christ can. The Lord Jesus. We can have the most eloquent sermons, most biblical sermons you ever heard. But without the Holy Spirit, the movement of God, it is ineffectual. Without the change of heart. Look at Judas. He heard the greatest preacher this ever lived, the perfect preacher. Yet his heart was a heart of stone. And he turned on Christ. Traitor. So, as we see, love originates with the new birth. But even more than that, love originates with God. Once we're born again, then we're called to love the brethren and our enemies. Jesus says here in our text this morning that this is the identifying characteristic of his disciples. When I read that verse, like, whoa, how, oh Lord, how can we do that to love our disciples? You see, some of us, are high maintenance, aren't we? We're not easy to get along with. Lord, how can I live with her? Her, how can I live with him? Always amazed me that in the Old Testament they had arranged marriages, and that shocks modern sensibilities. But when you read of these men and women, they grew in their love because they were first committed to each other. And that's what love is. It's not just a feeling. It's not a Hallmark card or a Hallmark television show. We've watched, we watch some of those, I must confess. <laughs> but it's about the only clean thing you can find on television nowadays. But it's the same theme over and over again, the pulling and the, uh, she's going this way, he's going that way, he's, are they, are they going to make it at the end? You see, it's all feelings, all based on emotions. That's not what love is. Love is commitment. I will be with you. You will be with me. I will give not 50%, 100%. You will give 100%. And whatever comes, sickness, health, wealth, fame, we will see it 
through together. Thick and thin. I saw that in my parents. Now, they had problems. They were humans. But they were committed to us six children and never left nor deserted us. When I thought at times, surely they could through trials and troubles. But Christ was in their marriage. Jesus was in their marriage. They were born again. And they knew the Lord. And even though they had arguments, sometimes loud arguments, they loved each other. So look around this morning. How much do you love everyone in this sanctuary? It's not based on outward looks, sameness of opinions, or family. It's the love of Christ that unites us. It's the spirit within us. Have you ever met someone, a stranger, and you, first time you ever met them, and you just knew there was something different about this person, and then they tell you, I'm a believer. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. A unity, a oneness that is supernatural, cannot be explained by the preacher or anyone else. It is the new birth. It is Christ within us. And none of this is new, as Jesus said. Leviticus 19, 18. God's people were called to love each other. But then he said, a new command I give you. Now, what did he mean by that? Did he mean that this is something brand new now? Love has never existed among the people of God in the church before? No. What he means is what's new is that there it is, there is love incarnated in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you want to know what love is, look at him. Look at him. How he dealt with his enemies. How he dealt with his friends. Lazarus crying outside his tomb. He was not afraid to cry. He was not afraid to show emotion. He loved. He laid down his life. That is love. How did he deal with his enemies? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do we show such leniency as we prayed a while ago to others? It's one reason I love that confession of sin that we prayed a while ago, because it really hits my heart. The leniency I show myself, do I extend that to my wife? to my children, to my neighbors. That's love. Forgetting self. Thinking, as Paul said, more highly of one another than we do of ourselves. That's agape love. And yet we want to think of ourselves first. 1 John 4, 16. God is love. There it is. He defines it. He is love. You want to know what love is? Read his love messages to his covenant people. 
And sometimes he's very tough love with his people. He speaks the truth in love. They know he loves them. He lays down his life and calls us friends because he loves us. When there are non-doctrinal splits in the church, love is missing. There are good splits in churches. PCA is an example of one. When you've tried every way you can to turn your denomination, your churches back to the gospel, back to the Bible, you try and you confront and you bring the truth in love and you write letters and you tell and convict and point to the gospel and it falls on stony ground, unanswered, unheeded. What do you do? Jesus said sometimes you have to shake the dust off your feet and walk away. Many of our churches did that. Some of them from their buildings worth thousands and thousands of dollars. And yet they walked away for the sake of the gospel. Now that kind of disharmony and disunity is brought by doctrine that is not in agreement with the word of God. And you have to walk away to be faithful to Christ be faithful to the word if we love him more than we love anyone else. Be faithful to Christ. Even though in these very same passages, John 13 through 17, what did Jesus pray in the high priestly prayer that his people would love one another, there would be unity. But that unity is not on the expense of truth. It's founded on truth. He is truth. God is love. Love is sometimes white hot. It burns. Our God is a consuming fire. But he is love. And his love is for truth. The Reformation, because of a lack of love for others, but a love for the truth, for the gospel. I love this slogan. Now, don't get to misunderstand what I'm saying here, but understand this slogan. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I read here recently from Ligonier that said that quotation is not from Augustine, although he's been given the attribution of it. Actually, it's from Rubertus Meldinius, a German Lutheran theologian of the early 17th century, otherwise unknown, except for that slogan. But be careful when we use that slogan. Understand that in essentials, in the foundational issues of the gospel, we have unity with anyone who names the name of Christ faithfully, who calls upon him as Savior and Lord. There is unity, there is oneness. In non-essentials, what color you paint the building, what color carpet you put out, how many churches have split over those things because of lack of love? Non-essentials, but in all things, charity and charity says we stand for the truth as God is truth and love.
But he tells us here, love of fellow believers is not optional. Not optional. You will be known by your love. They will know who's they. The world. The world. The unbelieving world. What they need to see today, as well as in the 60s, is what real love is. Oh, beloved, and may we this year commit ourselves to loving each other well. Now, how do we do that? That's the third and final point. Because sometimes we're rough around the edges. Sometimes we're still, even in our sanctification, we are high maintenance with other people. We're to prefer others before ourselves. How many arguments would that end? Sometimes best just not to say anything. And smile. Mm, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's not worth a hill dying on. There are many things, most things in life are like that, aren't they? How many arguments and disagreements do we remember from 10 years, 20 years, 30 years ago? Did it make any difference? And yet we stake it out and we break with brothers and sisters over non-essentials. Those things that 1 Corinthians 13 warns us of. Love is what? Patient, and kind, and gentle. Love does not seek its own and its own way. How many arguments would that end? And yet many of us, you know, are A-type personnel. You know what I think those things are? Excuses for sin. I'm an A-type, and you know, you, I'm this, just this way. And I got to have my way. Is that what Christ did? But love is patient. Love is kind. It does not seek wrong. It loves. And the greatest of these is love, faith, hope, love. But the greatest, Jesus said, Paul, that is through Paul, is love. Is love. Why is there disharmony and lack of peace within us and within the church? Because we don't depend upon the Spirit every day. Give the day to the Lord. Lord, make me a peacemaker this day at work, at home, or wherever we are. To be a peacemaker among relationships. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 through 24, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Against such there is no law. Who has outlawed those things? <laughs> no one. We desire it. We want it. Well, you can have it, but you must be born again. You can have joy and peace and patience in your life, but you must 
have the Holy Spirit. You must be born again, for that's his fruit. That's his work. And the first is love. It's love. Paul put it this way, as far as possible, he was a realist, be at peace with all men. As far as possible. We know in some instances we cannot be. We have to shake the dust off our feet and move on. But as far as possible, be at peace with all. And then that other wonderful verse, love covers, not discovers, uncovers. Love covers a multitude of sins. Where'd that come from? Jesus. Look what he did. He covered all our sins in his work for us. Love covers a multitude of sins. Why does the Bible have to remind us of that? Because we love to uncover we love to discover. Oh, have you heard what so-and-so did? Oh, goodness. Gossip. Talking about others. You see, if we love, we cover. We cover. We realize that's us too. And if we're talking about others, others are talking about us. <laughs> love covers a multitude of sins. And then what did Jesus say about those who do offend us? How many times are we to forgive? Seventy times seven. Now, was he setting up a numerical number? No, he, he was giving an astronomical number to say it's endless. Forgive. Seventy times seven. This is the church. And this is Beloved, remember, this is what the world longs to see, love in action. Love in action. Jesus spoke the truth in love, even to his enemies. Matthew 18 teaches us how we are to deal with each other, doesn't it? when we're offended. Galatians 6.1, you who are spiritual, go and restore such a one. Gently. Gently. You go privately and you tell the person how they've sinned against you, the, the offense, and you forgive them again and again. You know, three words can change our world. I saw this on a book the other day titled at the bookstore, three words, thanks, forgive, please. We're as Christians to live that life for each other. They're other directed. They're not narcissistic. They're at a, what that person is thinking and feeling, having empathy for them to say, thanks, forgive, please. It's other-directed. To express love is to think of others and their needs. What did Jesus do? Coming to the cross, 
He thought of our need of a Savior for our sin, of his children. So as we close, I've been reading a little bit about Thomas Goodwin. He's a Puritan. Now, my church in Greenville accused me of being a Puritan. I don't mind. (laughs) We studied the Puritans in Sunday school, went through a whole series. But he says, Hebrews 4.15 is the verse that tells us of Jesus' heart, that he sympathizes, that we have a great high priest who does not sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows us in and out, sympathizes with our weaknesses, and yet he still loves us. This emphatic, outward, directed love of our Savior is how we are to love others. That's Christ's beautiful heart, as Thomas Goodwin put it. Like Jesus, we sympathize with the weaknesses of those we love because we remember we're just like them. But for the grace of God, there go I. What does that do to our narcissism, to our partialities? There but for the grace of God. Oh, it should make us fall on our knees in praise and adoration to the Father for what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. That he loved us before the world began. That he chose his church, his people, not because he had foreseen anything that they would do right or wrong, but because he placed his love on us simply because he loved us. What did he tell the Israelites in Deuteronomy? Why he chose them of all the nations of the earth? Because I love you. No other reason. I love you. Can you imagine that kind of love, that kind of agape love? That's God. We are who we are and what we are in Christ because he loved us. And we're to show that same mercy, that same forbearance, that same sin-covering love to one another and to talk it out, to pray it out, and to live it out with each other. You know what happens when the world sees that? Oh, There's something different over there in that church, grace. There's something different happening there. I want that. See the love of Christ, God. And God's love is defined in 1 Corinthians 13. It's not a chapter simply to read at weddings. It describes God's love. For us, that is patient and kind. Let's pray.
Father, how we thank you for who you are. We speak often of your wrath and your mercy, but you are love. You are love itself. And that love loves the truth, the truth of who you are, your character, the truth of who we are. Humanity in our fallen condition, how we need the Savior. Father, I pray for us here at Grace that we would exhibit that unity, that oneness of the Spirit. They will know we, Grace, are Christians because of our love, not because we have disagreements, not because we have differences of opinion or look different, but because despite that, we love each other. We are united by the Holy Spirit, by the power of your gospel that can impact Maryland, Delaware, Washington, Virginia, all the gospel of Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. You take your hymn books, we'll turn and sing hymn 494. Now, I realize this, and I have to say this and confess this, this is to our shame, this is a hymn we should memorize. Forgive as we forgive. Let's stand. 494. Receive now the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen.